Hello and welcome to the dog house. A lot has happened in the last couple of weeks in Sri Lanka. Our missing president has returned to the country. Uh, an IMF staff level agreement, long awaited agreement with the IMF uh, for an extended fund facility of $2.9 billion. A staff level agreement has been reached. The government finally passed their interim budget, which is also making and long awaited. So I'm joined by uh, Watchdog's resident economist, Umesh Moramudali, on the doghouse or in the doghouse today to talk about what exactly these developments mean. On the economic front, we're not going to talk too much about the uh, the politics of it, but Umesh, on the economic front, how important is it that Sri Lanka has now reached this staff level agreement with the International Monetary Fund? Um, hi, Nadim. Uh, pleasure to be on the broadcast again. So, um... This staff level agreement uh, this means that IMF is, if IMF is willing to enter into an IMF program with uh, Sri Lanka, right? So, in a normal circumstances, this actually means money. Uh, because mm. usually you face a situation where uh, Sri Lanka or any other developing country or any developed country are running out of uh, dollar reserves or not having sufficient dollar reserves to manage whatever uh, the the import ex, uh, imports or the foreign loan repayments, those kind of things. But uh, this time, this is much more important because Sri Lanka is in, in the, the worst economic crisis that the country has ever faced. So this staff level agreement is not only about deciding how much money Sri Lanka is getting, but it is also about signaling that Sri Lanka is ready to do the economic reforms that are necessary to get out of the current economic crisis. And so for mm. me, the latter part is the most important one. The latter part is mm. important, firstly, because Sri Lanka need to restructure debt. And when a debt is restructured, all the foreign creditors are looking mm. at whether Sri Lanka is committed to do the reform. And this is where, Umesh, like we need to, I suppose, for the sake of clarity for our listeners as well, a staff-level yeah. agreement with the IMF doesn't mean that we're going to get this money tomorrow or the day after. There are a lot of uh preconditions that need to be met like you mentioned with debt restructuring and it seems that this is where we're running into some challenges uh is it right. fair to say that it is it is fair to say that it is uh, not only debt restructuring actually let me go back a step and say what it means by staff level agreement this means the imf staff thinks that sri lanka as a country or sri lankan government has done enough uh, or had shown enough intent to carry out economic reforms that will help the country to get out of the economic crisis. That will help the country to stabilize the economy in the medium term and of course in the long term. So it is the IMF staff's assessment. But of course staff can't take decisions IMF, right? So once the staff reach this agreement, that is why we call a staff level agreement, then this goes to a IMF uh, board in the sense like there will be review process. There'll be a review and then finally you, you, it goes to the executive board which decides whether Sri Lanka has done enough, that they are impressed enough by Sri Lanka, uh, Sri Lanka's commitments or the Sri Lanka, what Sri Lanka has done uh, to provide the money. So only when you get the board approval, disbursement or the money comes and that money also comes in um, installment. So let's, let's be clear that we are not getting any money at this point. Uh, we have to meet certain other criteria, get the money because uh, uh, the, the executive board of the IMF needs to decide or needs to make a call that Sri Lanka is ready 
Sri Lanka is fine. It is okay to lend to Sri Lanka. Now, then we go back to the question, what are these uh, criteria that uh, IMF Executive Board will look at? One is, as you mentioned, is of course debt restructuring. Because mm. the, the whole idea of getting into structural agreement or like getting out of the economic crisis is uh, having, having the sustainable debt levels in the medium term. Mm. Currently, Sri Lanka's debt is unsustainable. That means you that means you need to restructure the debt, right? So the mm. restructure debt is not something that Sri Lanka can do by uh, itself. Sri Lankan government can't do it in the way that they think. Okay, right? We are going to restructure debt in this way because you have to you have to get the consent of the creditors and negotiate with them how to do the restructuring of debt. The creditor needs to come on board in the plan that Sri Lanka presents regarding. Uh, how the debt is restructured, whether you're going to have haircuts, by, by haircuts, I mean the reduction of the, the uh, amount of the debt, right? so mm. which, which will help to reduce the debt stock and thereby it will have an impact on obtaining debt sustainability. So this has to happen. Then the, for, for IMF to be satisfied, really satisfied about this, editors needs to give assurance or commitment saying that, all right, we are willing to a restructured debt with Sri Lanka. Right? Mm. So that is that is the process that we have to go through. We have private creditors who have uh, who have purchased our ISPs, international sovereign bonds, and then you also have bilateral lenders, uh, China, Japan, India, um, many other countries. Right? The mm. potential stumbling block that most people seem to be concerned is China because uh, Chinese creditors, Chinese uh, let's say Chinese banks they don't seem to be particularly interested in restructuring in the sense the traditional way of restructuring of taking a haircut again when i say taking a haircut which means reduction of the own value if they have lent thousand uh, they'll agree okay we are willing to cut 250 out of this thousand outstanding usually china doesn't like to do that so that's what the research says so this could be a stumbling block to finalize the debt restructuring plan. What what could be the alternative in, in the event that like we're unable to reach this restructuring agreement or a, a traditional restructuring agreement in the form of a haircut with the loans that we've taken from uh, various Chinese institutions or the Chinese state or the Chinese banks. In the absence of a traditional haircut type restructuring, what are the alternatives that are available to the, to the government and to uh, Sri Lanka's creditors? That's a fairly important question, Nadim. Actually, a really important question that, that uh, we really need to look into. Uh, actually, Zambia, which is currently mm. in an IMF program, they got, uh, they got money, I think, like a week ago. Uh, that gives a fairly decent precedent explanation as how things potentially could go. There's no assurance that things will go exactly the same way. But what Zambia does, or Zambia did, is that... Um, they they have given principal haircuts and also the maturity extension so the creditor mm. can choose what they want to right so mm. they've understood that there are different creditors would be approaching things in a different way and therefore uh, uh, the only way to come to a consensus is that offering the both options so that creditor can choose and whatever the options that the creditor can choose then the country can uh, give the debt sustainability 
So, so that is one potential. Because we also, also because we are, there are multiple creditors involved here as well, right? I mean, it's not China. As you've mentioned previously in your writings as well, China's share of Sri Lanka's debt stock is not the largest. It's more like the third uh, largest. There are other creditors there as well, including, you know, the ISB holders and stuff. So in, in the, I, th I guess it would also be important that when, sure, the creditors will have the choice of the different options, but there also needs to be some form of consensus amongst the creditors. Exactly. The, the, the key term here, as you mentioned, is the consensus. So uh, what happened in the, with the Zambia case is that they came to a consensus. That is why IMA program was finalized and the money was given to them. So the consensus was that, okay, we are fine that the some fine about fine regarding the option that some people getting maturity extensions while some people getting uh, principal help, right? So, so mm -hmm. the creditors, they came, came to one table, the uh, Zambian government or whatever the parties that involved in these negotiations decided that so they the most of the creditors came to came to conclusion that they are fine with it they are fine with having two options we are fine to pay principal haircuts but that process of course has to be transparent amongst the creditors uh, and then uh, they have agreed and they've released an agreement saying that really released this consensus sort of agreement saying that uh, all the major creditors we are fine with what zambia first we are fine with zambia restructuring debt uh, we are ready to support them uh, and then uh, we'll be agreeing with uh, the processes that they have stipulated to us right? so that that has to come in writing you know in a, in a sort of a, a manner of a press release or a, a official statement in the form of that rather than x person saying hey the sources said that chinese will agree kind of things wouldn't matter in this case you need an official statement either from Chinese government or from Chinese banks or from if, if in the case of ISB holders they what they usually do is they form a creditors club say you know different different banks get together and uh, form a club saying that okay we represent all this we agree to 10% uh, principal help. and in the meantime there's also the the issue of the the case that has been filed uh, by uh, uh, ISB holders in uh, the United States if I'm not mistaken uh could that be also a stumbling block in when it comes to building consensus amongst our different creditors um right now i i personally don't think this is of course a legal matter for the court to decide but uh, my personal opinion is that it it may it is unlikely to have impact on the uh, debt restructuring negotiation process because that particular isb that particular bond is handled separately right so whatever the the Issues regarding that bond, I feel, could be handled separately, while all the other debt stock, you could carry on the negotiations. Uh, maybe mm -hmm. that negotiation could include the, this particular bond also, but I am honestly not quite sure how the... How but the, you don't envision that this will be a major challenge when in those debt restructuring negotiations? I don't think. I don't think that it will be a okay. major problem in the debt, debt restructuring negotiation. Uh, Umesh, the other thing that I wanted to get into is that, look, a lot of people, you know, when you talk about, and I mean, if you look at some of the newspaper cartoons that are that have been uh, making the rounds in Sri Lanka these, uh, uh, these past couple of weeks, especially with the discussions around the IMF, and you look at usually how the IMF is portrayed, in uh, uh, the news media or in satirical news media, it's always this uh, foreign organization that's trying to impose these conditions 
upon you cut like government spending and like leave the people high and dry yeah. uh, it helps only the fat cats that kind of thinking but when you look at at least to me on the surface at least looking at what uh, the staff level agreement is proposing it looks like the IMF is a bit more left of center than the actual Sri Lankan government yeah i mean i was i was quite surprised to be honest uh, with the some of the statements made by the IMF uh, during the press conference uh, are these are these serious statements to me should we like or is this just a uh, uh, attempt by the IMF to use the right kind of messaging to ensure that there's public buy in uh no i don't think i really don't think i'll, I'll give the reasonings that one uh, one is that first thing we need to understand is imf uh the imf that we are dealing right now is not the imf in 70s and 80s they have evolved as an institution a lot of people who who has problems with imf i mean we all i mean i myself as an economist i have problems with some of the ways that imf operates but in in these circumstances i think imf have progressed become a better institution to serve the needs of the individual countries it's vastly different from the imf that i observe in uh, uh, 70s and 80s particularly the imf that uh, most of some of the leftist academics caught uh, in uh, in latin america right it's different uh, so that that fact we need to establish right? and then then what you see is that uh, imf has has really uh, sort of uh, distinguish the distinguish that this is a special circumstances in the sense that there's a global debt distress problem in developing countries there was covid so the the usual expenditure cuts we don't see much if you go to the conditions or if you go to what i am stipulate in the in the during this press conference but they say there's not not a single mention about the expenditure cut right? but what mm. you will often see is people will say i am a tail to education there was there was not a single statement about expenditure cuts at all mm. right so it is clearly misinterpretation and also uh, your question on whether imf is serious uh, about what they proposed uh, there's no documentary evidence yes yet about some of the things that were said but for example imf specifically mentioned that they are discussing with sri lankan authorities about a wealth tax um mm. which is which is a specific measure regarding uh, revenue consolidation in the sense increasing tax revenue mm. now they don't mention these specific measures in the press release which is fair enough because the the uh, staff level agreement needs to be finalized you know in the sense like it, it needs to go to board approval uh, all this uh, before it is published right so but they're making a statement and what we need to understand is the statements made by imf officials are in 99% of the cases uh, are true because unlike politicians they they wouldn't make a statement just to please the public or to divert the attention or whatever because if you see how they make statements they they make very cautious marks mm. right? because because they are mm. not really politicians right they are officials who who give facts right some of yeah. sometimes i personally get frustrated with some of the imf expressing briefings because some of their answers are very vague because they avoid so making when it, when, it, when it comes to this vagueness actually because in in discussions that I've had with with people like uh, not economists it's normal like uh, lay people when you're talking about uh, what this means i think one of the frustrations that people have is that uh, there, there is no specificity 
Uh, I'll just quote from what Fitch Ratings uh, has also said about this. Uh, they said that the extended fund facility will not be approved by the IMF Executive Board until the government has implemented a number of agreed prior actions. Now, these prior actions have not been publicly specified. Are you at all concerned, as being an economist, are you at all concerned about uh, the lack of transparency, or is this par for the course? Is this the usual way of things being done? This this is actually the usual way of uh, things being done. But in overall context, if we talk about the bigger issue, I would also prefer uh, better transparency in a moment like this. Uh, but I don't think this is the time to make a significant deviation and try to resolve that problem at point right mm. it's a too but too big fight to to take on at this point but in overall context in going forward something maybe imf and other organizations could look forward is that maybe not to to release the entire agreement because it is problematic because uh, up until the board approval is received but but some sort of a way to say okay what these some of the the conditions are but what they have done what they usually do is as in this case you see in the press release uh, they have indicated clearly the directions that they want to go. That's why I'm saying that there was no expenditure cuts, right? So they mentioned, mm. okay, this is what we want. They mentioned about uh, fuel pricing formulas, electricity pricing formulas, need to increase tax revenue, cash transfers, uh, um, stuff, and also uh, anti-corruption uh, laws, which is not something usually IMF tells. But I think in, in Sri Lanka's case, the insistence on uh, more uh, anti-corruption measures was particularly emphasized in, uh, in in this particular case, so which indicates that they have um, given uh, quite a lot of thought uh, into that. Mm. Uh, so let's get to actually uh, the other big development that we had on the economic front, which was the passing of the, or rather the presentation of the 2022 interim budget. Uh, on the 30th of August, you know, amongst the plans, the uh, standard rate of VAT value added tax was increased to 15% from 12%. Uh, there's uh, proposed compulsory tax registration for all residents who are aged over 18 years as a measure to increase or broaden the tax base. Uh, they're planning to increase the government uh, revenue uh, at to, G to, uh, to GDP, government revenue as a percentage of GDP to 15% by 2025. Uh, when you look at what the, the interim budget that President and Finance Minister Ranil Vikramasinghe put forward, uh, does that give you, does it show intent? Because we said that the IMF staff level agreement that would have required the, the country showing intent to reform. Uh, the policies that have been put forward in the interim budget, does that to you show the intent of the government? Um, I would say that it it shows some intent. I wouldn't I wouldn't deny that there's no intent. That would be me making a very biased statement. There is some intent, but my my worry is that are these mere words? Because let's go back three or four years when Mangala Samaravira presented his first budget. Hmm. You would you would see some of the exact same things that Ranil Vikramasinghe said a few days ago were in that same budget. Removing of para tariff, making all the government vehicles electric vehicles, uh, mm. trade digestment package, word to word. Mm. In some mm. some cases, uh, there. So it's not that the 
choose has been said in the budget but what is your path to achieve it for example yes hmm. they were mentioned about giving cash transfers but but isn't this the time isn't this the time to move towards a better cash transfer system and there's nothing mentioned hmm. in the budget about that are we really going to uh, continue with this corrupt some of the system or are we really trying at least trying to make the system better or for us the cash transfers been just just saying that okay we are giving this much money does it does it end there right? so so hmm. these things were not really discussed there right? so this this is the time to address it put the effort and get these things done and that that really hasn't uh, been done so that's why i'm saying that the in- intent isn't enough there is intent but it is clearly not enough also uh, uh, i i actually need to make a important point on this tax registration right you um, yeah this no uh, president says that we will increase the tax and there's tax tax to gdp targets all looks good it's important to give these things you know to shy and if that we are committed but my question and the worry is that are we actually committed that much because uh, why are we actually talking about compulsory tax registration for everyone before fixing our tax administration which which is currently failing to collect significant level of revenue our revenues have gone down that also uh, reflects the deterioration of tax administration mm. right we we have a big problem in tax administration first we need to acknowledge that and we need to put enough effort to fix that first right and without that we are not going to increase tax revenue just because we increase just because we change the tax policy that doesn't mean the revenue will come in particularly the income tax it requires effort it requires skills it requires systems proper functioning systems to collect taxes particularly how mu- how much money or how much effort we are putting to improve the re- uh, ramis system using which the the inland revenue department now collect income taxes right so these are the important things because the fundamental is that no amount of policy changes will leads to development if the administration is bad you have to fix the administration we are completely ignoring that problem and then instead we are coming and saying we will increase the number of people who pay tax that sounds little ridiculous uh, particularly i uh, uh, i was having a conversation with uh, one of the global tax experts a couple of days ago he pointed out that a lot of african countries he termed this as a registration obsession a couple of african countries try to do this by getting compulsory tax registration a lot of people almost all people or all small businesses to register tax it's register for tax purposes but it did not increase the revenue right instead it increases the administrative burden uh, on the revenue authorities right there's in- and these administrative weaknesses are not uh, unique to just uh, the inland revenue department right i mean these uh, sort of bureaucratic uh, black holes existed almost every department of the sri lankan public sector you're right you're very right we what what lot of people don't understand actually not paying enough attention is that sri lanka has a very big capacity problem Sri Lanka really mm. needs to, to build the capacity of the people, particularly in the public sector. May that be in the mm. revenue department, may that be treasury, central bank. Um, 
customs, excise, customs, excise, all, all of the places that bring the revenue places, in, all of the places that bring the revenue in, all of the places that brings the uh, policies pertaining to revenue. So, because it's a long-term uh, process, right? If you take a look at the countries that successfully increased their tax-to-GDP ratio, they've invested heavily in people as well as mm. systems revenue collection. You can't pay a few bucks and expect quality people to join the Indian Revenue Department, right? You you need to make these institutions very strong and pay people, get competent people, train them, and most importantly, give a proper leadership. Uh, unless that systems are established, unless that there's a proper capacity, proper emphasis on capacity building on Sri Lanka, reforms are prone to fail. Because two or three people, Nadim, we as much as we would like reform to be succeeded, two or three people cannot uh, run a reform uh, campaign or two or three pe people can't reform a country. It requires a And uh, that, that actually brings me to the next point that I wanted to sort of highlight with you. I've, I thought I found it very interesting that uh, the IMF said, uh, highlighted what, what you just mentioned, you know, two or three people can't uh, do this. There has to be public buy-in and there has to be a mandate. The IMF welcomed the stability that uh, there has been in the country in the past or in terms of political stability at least if if we want to call it political stability uh, but at the same time they also highlighted the importance of uh, having a mandate from the people for reforms very true right so i was uh, um, i was having a discussion rather than in, in a conversation on twitter there are some people made it con confused that this People said that this government is un unconstitutional. This government is mm. not unconstitutional. The president is not unconstitutional. It is constitutional. It is constitutional. It is perfectly all right, legal. There's no issue there. But the question is the legitimacy. Right? They, they have legitimacy. So do they have a mandate? Do people want them on power? I, I really don't think so. This is why, why, keep, why we keep running into this uh, square one of having an election. Because it's not a three months matter and the reforms are carried out without a sufficient mandate that might backfire and leads us to in this loop of having economic crises defaults over and over again. And I think uh, this is also highlighted by uh, the ratings agencies uh, in, in the after the uh, staff level agreement was reached. I'll just quote from this article. This is what Fitch Ratings had to say on the subject. That like political instability will pose risks to the implementation of reforms and the distribution of IMF funding, even if a debt restructuring uh, program is agreed. Additional social spending may not be sufficient to prevent public opposition, particularly given that the government's public support appears weak in our assessment and that the economic growth recovery 23 to 24 will be constrained by the strong fiscal consolidation. Uh, Umesh, is economic growth recovery over the next two years going to be constrained as a result of these fiscal consolidation drives? Um, the growth uh, growth will be low because for for for, mm. for Sri Lanka to recover, the growth has to be low. That is the the mm. that is what the economic theory would dictate because your imports have to be low, and then you gradually mm. build the capacity. So. Uh, that means it's going to take time to, to recover. I, I think that's fine. That has to be the way. First, we have to, we have to get our structures right without 
thinking too much about the growth right because so as the as the ratings agencies are saying do you feel that uh, in the absence with with this sort of slow growth uh, will there be public opposition there certainly to, will be like, reforms? there certainly will be because yeah. the reason for this is as we speak just a while ago that this government has a legitimacy mm. problem this government doesn't have a mandate right because people mm. are suffering they, they are, the cost of living is incredibly high and people are not going to be calmed down people will not be okay just because you give 2500 more what can you do by 2500 right? this is not just giving some small amount of cash and resolving the problem it really is not so you need public support you need public to understand this importance of the reforms and make necessary compromises and get on get on the reform agenda you can't do that if you don't have a government which uh, uh, which has a mandate or which has a legitimacy with which the people have issues when gotabe comes back uh, to sri lanka and return and position of peramun or slpp is trying to revive them or clip saying that we want to go back we uh, we will revive back then then that doesn't really set the tone for a reform agenda and then you see they try to they try to sneak their way into through while the imf program is there then then people think okay this imf programs program happens to facilitate the comeback of these uh, uh, slpp or rajapakshas who were chased away by people right then then the whole reform agenda could sabotage so it's it's really much we are talking about a much larger problem uh, than this politicians in particular understand this is not really about having a one or two election and securing your seats anymore they don't they don't really understand the magnitude of the issue it's not like the previous imf uh, previous time we went to imf if we fail these reforms we will again go back to a much much more difficult times having probably you know 10 12 power cuts again days long fall queues very much possible because the moment there's political instability moment people see that there's no support for a reform agenda then the debt restructuring process will uh, will will uh, face significant issues imf will be reluctant to release the installments and uh, uh, and institutions like world bank or adb will be reluctant to give money all all those things umesh there's one more thing i wanted to uh, highlight with you i actually wanted to raise it earlier but we are almost at the end now uh before i let you go i want to quickly sort of mention this as well now uh there was a lot of talk after the government uh, introduced the latest round of import restrictions uh, on over 300 plus goods and services uh there were there were detractors and also supporters of the of that move by uh, the government by the finance minister uh those import restrictions which side of the coin are you on are these necessary uh or are they sort of anti trade i think i think i think when when certain uh, policies are implemented i think we are doing a very uh what what i see is the public is highly polarized now right which is not the mm. way to look at these import restrictions some import restrictions are needed for example mm. i mean uh take a look at for example maybe uh, some clothes or makeups mm. or the from foreign foreign Lux- luxury foreign items handbags or uh, foreign watches i i think certainly those import restrictions i think that needs to be put in place but if if there are mm. if there are import restrictions on items that are raw materials for industry 
you know or maybe mm. like a phone battery because you need a phone battery you can't have a replacement you can't you need to have a computers computers you know i mean some of yeah. the some of these um, it equipments so those shouldn't be so it's again a matter of pick and choose you need to be you need to understand the economy you need to understand what people wants and what people don't want what people would be fine uh, without any but what people would what people would be fine giving up giving up exactly and a phone battery is something yeah. that they can't give up right i mean if your phone broke yeah. you need to fix it otherwise how you how are you going to function so that there has to be adequate availability yeah. that's because they don't produce so uh when when you look at those import restrictions the what has been banned does it seem like uh that there has been understanding of what needs to be restricted what needs to be allowed or is it the other way around uh, i think this system sorry this this list needs to be reviewed uh, particularly to exclude items items mm. like items that affects the, the that that are somewhat of a raw material sometimes some some of these items it may not look like a raw material at the first glance but some of them are that and then you you come up with uh, there are it equipment items and stuff like that which are also important for the people's function so the so this list needs to be removed and sorry this needs this list needs to be reviewed and then identify the items that 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 you can really ban that wouldn't really have an impact uh on the on uh, people's daily lives people who can people who people can function uh, without uh, their life is being affected and uh, the remaining ones uh, remove those items remove those restrictions one final question for you before i let you go uh right now as we mentioned that 2.9 billion dollar extended fund facility for which we have reached a staff level agreement with the imf still requires executive board approval there's a few, there's a few more steps uh until we are officially sort of receiving the money in tranches right now from from today to like, how long is it going to take to complete to actually officially in this program we have received the first disbursement of funds uh this is quite difficult to answer because this really depends on number of things as we discussed in the beginning but assuming that everything will go smoothly uh it will take at least till next year early next year uh my contention is that uh, the probably mm. early next year we should be able to get the first tranche uh provided that mm. we get the we get the creditors uh, agreement and everything else in place is it realistic to think that we're going to have consensus and agreement from our creditors for haircuts or other alternate types of debt restructuring within the next you know 4 to 5 months as you're suggesting um, let, let me put it this way nadim it's not going to be easy we might compare ourselves with zambia and then now that china has preset said president that ex, ex, uh, you know express their uh, willingness to restructure debt in terms of uh, you know i think what i heard is that they prefer the maturity extensions mm. over principal haircuts uh, we'll have to wait and see um, whether sri lanka's other private creditors would be willing uh, willing to have couple of options and one creditor choosing one option them choosing whatever they want so we'll we'll really will have to uh wait and see but my 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 feeling is that uh there will be consensus but it will take a little longer uh so there will be consensus but it will take a little longer thank you very much umesh for joining me in the dog house of course you can follow our extensive coverage on uh, the economic policy problems or the economic problems in the country that uh, umesh has spearheaded actually that the research and coverage of that 
Uh, you can read those articles on longform.watchdog.team. Don't forget to look us up on our socials and get in touch at Team Watchdog on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, goodbye and good luck. Woo! 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 Woo!